Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone and welcome to Dragon Quest FM where we talk about and obsess over Dragon Quest. My name is Austin. And I'm BJ. And today we are going to talk about the first Dragon Quest Dragon Warrior game. So we have, there's a lot of versions of this game, first of all, and I played the mobile version on iOS on my phone. Um, I'm actually replaying it right now. Uh, And BJ, you played it originally on the NES when you were like six, right? Yeah, I got to the Green Dragon when I was like seven or eight, maybe, and uh, played some of the mobile version and decided that I think I'm going to play the Game Boy Color version all the way through when it's its turn on the on my queue. Gotcha. So but right now, at the time of this recording, neither one of us have played the Game Boy Color version. Correct. You haven't played it. I started it. You did start it. Okay. yeah, I've started it. Actually, I've gotten just a little bit to uh, to the Heroes Cave up top lodo's cave roto's cave i can't remember what they call it in the color version okay cool so um so since you started playing it is there anything you want to say about the game boy color version i like it like i like this version like i think it may be partly nostalgia on my part because i loved the game boy so much as a kid and but playing this one feels a lot better than playing the nes version going back and it feels honestly a lot uh, smoother maybe than the mobile version and i think that might just be because you don't have buttons on the mobile version you use this you know you tap you move in really the same way but the game boy color version honestly feels the most solid of any of them that i've played so far and and that's i've actually heard that from multiple people that the game boy color version is like the best version of this game. So I'm excited then because I, I actually got it because I have a bit boy and I have it and I'm actually I like it so much that I'm probably I'm going to end up going out. I've been looking on eBay to find a complete version of it with box and mon- manual and everything oh, wow. uh, for the Game Boy Color. Like that's the I like it so much. I really, really want like a collector, a collectible edition of it. Gotcha. And that's why see, and I, I, I missed the Game Boy Color version because I missed a lot of Game Boy Color games. Um, let's see. I want to say, I'm not sure how old I was. I was pretty young. Um, and I remember my parents got me the, uh, the Game Boy Color. I think I mentioned this in another episode, but it's like the, the like transparent purple Game Boy Color that looks really cool. Mm -hmm. My parents got me that and Pokemon Pinball. And then, uh, it was for my birthday or Christmas. I want to say it was Christmas. Um, and then I was a kid, so I saved up my money and it took a long time, but with that money, I bought Pokemon yellow. Um, my brother ended up getting Pokemon blue, um, not long after for his birthday, even though it was an older game, he got it for his birthday, like the following year. And uh, he and I played through that one. Um, you know, I shared my Game Boy with him if he would let me play his game. It was like, it was like <laughs> it's his game, but it's my Game Boy. So I think that's my, that was my parents' way of like being sneaky and forcing us to share with each other. Um, and so, so anyway, so I missed a lot of games because 
uh, a lot of them I saved up for and tried to buy with my own money. So I had to be super like selective because it would take me like a whole year to buy up a game for the Game Boy Color. Um, And then, you know, after a few years, it's kind of an old system. So I just kind of moved on from there. And I think this came out Dragon Quest Warrior 1 and 2 and then Dragon Quest Warrior Dragon Quest Warrior, uh, Dragon Warrior <laughs> 3 on the Game Boy Color. I think those were toward the end of the Color's life cycle where you had already moved into the Game Boy Advance because one of the Game Boy uh, Color Dragon Warrior 3 boxes I looked at yesterday as of this recording had a compatible with the Game Boy Advance on it. Mm-hmm. So this was while people had already moved to the next generation of handheld, but they had released these on the previous one because it played that way and, and i remember seeing uh the dragon warrior 3 uh like box and everything like at my local i guess it was walmart is what it would have been right um and like so i can picture it in my head i remember being a kid and seeing that game i just uh you know at the time my i was like so into pokemon that it was just i was gonna buy pokemon and nothing else with my limited funds i understand that like I've, I've i was that way honestly with final fantasy games at the time uh i did a lot of final fantasy buying so the game the nes version was released 1986 in japan it came to the u.s a while after that and then when it came to the u.s i know you mentioned this in a previous episode but you played the nes version uh, like about three years later is that right Yeah, it came out in 1989 in the U.S., and it did not do well. Nintendo Power did a promotion where they gave everybody who registered for a new subscription to Nintendo Power, it was $15 a year, they gave everybody a free copy of Dragon Warrior. So uh, they cleared out stock, they got the game out there for people, exposed them to RPGs in the West, and it did well enough that eventually Dragon Warrior 2, 3, and 4 were released on the NES here, but uh, it never did well for Nintendo to actually be the publisher again, as far as I remember. Gotcha. So um, so I know you talk, did talk about a little bit about your experiences with the NES version, uh, and I think it was our first episode uh, that we did, but uh, just as like a refresher, in case nobody's listened to that episode, you said you played it with your best friend at the time. You guys yep. spent a couple of years kind of chipping away at it, and you thought you had beaten it, but you really had only defeated the Green Dragon. Yes, and uh, I I beat the dr- Green Dragon, and as a kid, like I I uh, thought, you know, rescued the princess, and that was the end of the game. And so I, I've lived my entire life as a lie. And it was only recently that I found out when you told me that that was there was you know another half of the game. But also, I realized that you don't even have to beat the Green Dragon in Dragon Quest One. That if you don't beat the dragon, it's just the princess doesn't show up in the ending, which is really cool to me that you can go on and just skip that part of the game. And even for an NES game, a first generation really NES game here, it was complex enough and they put enough thought into it that that part was left out of the ending. I I did not know that because in the version I played, if you if the green dragon beats you, he beats you. Oh yeah, you just don't go fight it. Apparently, oh, you like, can. That's just... what I was reading. Like, you just don't go and fight him, 
and apparently you can move on through the game. Now, I haven't done that, but it was something I was reading about. I think it was on uh, dragonquest.org on the wiki, maybe, oh my when gosh. I was looking up stuff about the hero and Erdrick and everything. Yeah, I did not know that. There's there's so many things. Whenever we get to doing like an episode in Dragon Quest 2, I'll talk about it then. But there's just there's so many things in these games, and Dragon Quest 2 is kind of the frustrating uh, part, but that I've done and like put a lot of effort into and then found out later that it was optional, which, (laughs) which is something really, really cool about these games is that you can, you know, you can do this kind of stuff or not do it. Or if you fail, you know, it doesn't necessarily affect very much of the story. So that's just, that's a really awesome thing about these games. But at the same time, there's definitely a few things, um, like in other games that I found out were optional that I'm like, I don't know if I would have done this had I known it was optional at the time. Because yeah. when I played, when I play through these games and I'm, you know, I'm playing through all of them this year. And when I played through these games, I try not to read spoilers or like facts or anything about them while I'm playing them. I try to just experience them. And then obviously if I get stuck, um, I, I, you know, I use Google because I don't want to just like waste, you know, hours and hours and hours not knowing what to do. So, oh, so I'll look it up if I need to, but I try to just kind of approach them all with like, you know, uh, with just having known nothing about them and just trying to uh, experience them and then, you know, read stuff if I get stuck. And so, so most of the time what will happen is I beat the games and then when I'm going, before I write up like my blog posts on them and stuff at, at dragonquestaustin.com, I like will do a little research and stuff just to fact check myself because I don't want to like put out any like wrong information. And so a lot of times when I'm doing that, I will find out later that it's optional or when I'm in the middle of a playthrough, I'll post a picture of it on Twitter and somebody will be like, hey, you know, that's optional, right? And then I'll be like, no, I did not. Um, so, but that's really cool. I did not know that about the green dragon. And I, like I said, I haven't done it, but it's what I read about. So, uh, we'll see, we'll see how much I grind for the green <laughs> dragon as I go through it. Um, but like I, as a kid, you know, I remember this game and the, the Game Boy Color version is very true to, uh, from what I've played so far. And so was the mobile version of like the graphics making me really happy when I was a kid. Like I loved playing it because it was really colorful. It was bright. And that was really what I loved about NES games at the time. Like, I mean, I loved games like Batman and Ninja Turtles and stuff that were more muted. And, you know, cause I love Batman and Ninja Turtles, but playing Dragon Quest when I was little was uh, like you log on. Well, you didn't log on at the time you turned it on and you, you just get out into the wilderness. It's this bright, beautiful green uh, area. You kill some slimes, like they pop up and like, I loved getting into fights with slimes to this day. Like they're one of my favorite things about the entire series and the entire game. And I know it goes, and it's a lot of people's I understand. So, but it was one of my favorite things about the entire game when I was a kid, because it was just fun to kill them that it's when I see a DQ slime anywhere, like in any game, it's like, I don't get mad about battling. And it's like, Oh, I'm going to get a kill a slime. It's, I don't like random battles anymore, but it's like, Oh, here's a slime. I get to kill it. <laughs> I was playing dragon quest swords the other day. And I do not like that game. Like it is not fun to play. Um, and those of you out there who like that game, I am truly amazed. You're a stronger human being than I am, uh, but it's uh, like, I got slimes coming in and a battle. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm getting a slice. 
slimes in half. And like, that was fun. And I think it goes back to playing the original NES version of Dragon Quest one, like walking out or Dragon Warrior, I guess, walking out of town for the very first time and being attacked by a slime, not knowing what it was and being like, that's really cute. I'm going to kill it. And that's actually one thing I like about these games. Like um, about a month ago, uh, my oldest daughter, she's three, and uh, she, uh, I got her the Paw Patrol video game, Paw Patrol on a Roll for Switch, which is really mm-hmm. a great game for kids her age. So if any of you guys have kids around that age, like this is a great first game for them. It's a platformer. And she was watching me play uh, Dragon Quest VI on my DS, and she wanted to give it a try. And so she knew how to use the analog. I showed her that, you know, you press A to fight. And I had the tactics set on fight wisely, so everything was pretty much done for her. She just had to press A to fight and then A to attack. Um, and so she just, you know, walked around the overworld and, you know, pressed A when she got in a fight. But she was just laughing and having such a good time because she liked the design for the monsters. And just, you know, they're they're not scary. They look cute. And... I even felt guilty because she was like, they were disappearing and she was like, am I killing them dad? And uh, like, I could tell she was getting kind of bummed out. And I was like, no, you're just they're you know, they're getting scared of you and running away. And she would like keep fighting them, but she would be like, don't be scared. Don't be scared. As she's continuing to just like beat them with swords. Um, But um, anyway, it was really cute. She leveled up my vocations really, really well for me. Um, I ever, every once in a while I checked on her to make sure her MP was still good so that the healer could like keep her up so she wouldn't die or anything. And then I would, I would go back to a town. I would borrow it for a couple minutes and like save it. So I didn't lose progress, but, um, yeah, but she had a good time just playing it. And that makes me so happy. Like you sent me pictures of it and just seeing her sit there smiling, playing DQ six was, was just beautiful. So like you should totally introduce her. Like when she gets a little bit older, just give her dragon quest one and just let her run around. Like see what happened. Like, like it was when I was a kid and just see what she does. Yeah. I mean, just think about how different this series would have been if like Toriyama hadn't designed these monsters this way and everything. It was just been, I, I mean, I don't know if like, you know, I, I don't want to say, you know, the, the game wouldn't be as like loved as it is, but I do think the monsters are just such a huge, important part of that. And I think they are. I mean, the character designs are great. Don't get me wrong. Like I always love the hero, the heroes and what they do with the designs. I bought Dragon Quest Monsters Joker uh, just because I saw the hero design. I was like, he looks awesome. I'm going to buy that. And I haven't even started it yet. But I was like, I want to own that because there's a picture of him on the front. And so like, I love it. But apparently I just love Toriyama art. And uh, so seeing the monsters like this, it makes me really love seeing every monster, even the recolor palette swaps in every new game. Like I get really excited to kill Krabby Dabby Doos because of it being cute. I love seeing uh, Hammer Hoods, all of this, and uh, I just love them. And it's something that I have with a few Final Fantasy enemies. Like I love killing Cactuars. I love being able to go and kill... um, Tonberries, like it's and it's the cute ones that's the thing the ones that i really like and remember so much about final fantasy are the cute ones that are like the slimes in uh, in dq that got me into it and so i just really really appreciate enemies like that that last through series and the slimes and everything have done that for me like i remember as a kid loving them i still love them 
And uh, so, yeah, it's apparently I just love Toriyama, though, like I said, <laughs> because Chrono Trigger got me like that's one of my favorite games. And uh, uh, he did the art and uh, design for it. I've been a Dragon Ball Z fan for as long as I can remember when it was on Toonami on the Cartoon Network coming into English for the first time for me uh, watching it like I have. Dragon Quest or Dragon Ball Z videos, like VHS videos over beside me that I found recently. Um, like, and now Dragon Quest, it was when just seeing all of the Toriyama art, I was like, yes, yes, more, more, please. And so I, I guess I've always loved that since I was like six years old. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, when we we're talking about slimes and all, I think I told you this when you were down visiting me, but, um, you know, so with the, the collector's edition of Dragon Quest XI, it came with this book, like an art book. And then in the back, there was just this, uh, there was interviews. And between those interviews and the interviews that were in the back of, uh, let's see, it's the Dragon Quest Illustrations art book, which I also highly okay. recommend. It has all the Toriyama art from all that. So between those two, there's really interesting interviews. And I really learned a lot about Dragon Quest. And so in one of those, uh, they were talking about uh, you know, he even uh, forgot what color slimes were supposed to be um, some of the time. And so on some of the promotional materials and even one of the covers, I think it might be five. I can't remember. I'll have to go back and check. But slimes are the wrong colors. And so he couldn't remember if they were blue. So there's like some uh, promotional art and different art out there that it shows in this book, too. So you know, I highly advise checking it out. But um you the slimes are you know not blue they're not like the orange she slimes or anything like that and so i thought that was really funny um that you know and he was laughing about it i thought that was just really funny that he you know was laughing and admitting that he was like yeah i totally forgot this i just colored them and you know no one realized that they were the wrong color and we put this stuff out there um so i thought that was really funny but like the NES version of this, going back to that, like it was hard. Like, I don't know if the Game Boy Color and the mobile versions are as hard as the NES version, but this game was unforgiving mm-hmm. back then that I'm sure it still would be if uh, if I were to pop the copy I have into my NES again. And it's like without quick save, I know you're going to mention this a little bit when you get to the mobile version of it, mm-hmm. but not having quick save. I cannot imagine how we as kids were able to beat this game, even picking away at it over a year or two like we did, uh, like and how people did it back then. Like we were all just tougher, more rugged gamers <laughs> in the NES, NES days. It was it was a different landscape because I can't I can't rem- I can't imagine doing that without Quicksave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the the iOS version is easier and the quick save is part of that. Um, and I, I really like the iOS version a lot. Um, I don't know if this may be blasphemy, but I, I don't know if I, I will ever go and even try the NES dragon warrior. Um, oh, you got to try it. I, I'm, I mean, I've seen like videos of it and like screenshots of it. So I know what it looks like, but I'm not sure if I, well, I mean, a, I don't have an NES anymore. Um, the, I've got two. It's okay. Okay. All right. Well, maybe you'll force me to try it. But <laughs> anyway, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, uh, you know, I mentioned this on the blog when I was talking about Dragon Quest one, like six months ago, however long ago it was when I wrote the post, but it's like, uh, you know, I have three really young little kids and 
Um, I just don't know that I have time or the energy to sit down and play an NES RPG right now. Like the whole thing just, you know, when I was a kid, it's like, sure, I could spend a whole Saturday just sitting there and like grinding away at something. But I'm not sure that I have the time or the energy to do that anymore. Um, Maybe I'll spend my retirement playing like an NES game from the the 1980s. But um, I mean, there's worse ways to spend a retirement. Oh, there are. There are entirely worse ways to spend your retirement. Um, but the uh, I, I I'm I don't have kids, but I don't have it in me to play NES games anymore. It's like I'll play either uh, on an emulator or I've bought like the Disney Afternoon Pack, and they have rewind features and save states or the Virtual Console on uh, on the Switch or other other games or other systems. And it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind this. It's like I don't have that the patience of a 10 year old anymore i just cannot sit and grind out uh like the same thing over and over and over and over and over again like the end boss of Darkwing duck i don't i don't get it i don't <laughs> get how anyone ever beat that or batman oh my so um so getting into the ios version um the I, i've had a lot of fun with it and i actually i started replaying it this week because this week it's been really crazy work week most of the most of the time throughout the year, I work from home, so it's not too bad. The summertime, um, I'm always on the go. Uh, there's like two, two and a half months of summer that I'm like never at home. Everything's crazy. The rest of the year, I'm mostly working from home. But those two and a half months are just nuts. And so this has kind of been the first week of that. And um, like I've even been too tired to like just sit and play Dragon Quest Six or anything and play through the story of that because it's like dungeons and everything. So I... Right. I re-downloaded the first Dragon Quest onto my phone um, and thought I'd play it in my free time. And it's one of those games that I've talked about that I love it because of the simplicity of it. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still, you know, kind of grindy and you have to, you know, take your time with it. But it's, it's a very simple game. And especially early on, you know, I don't really have to think too hard. I can just walk around and kill stuff and get up some levels. And so I've kind of been doing that this week. And, um, so it's been bringing back some good memories, even though I just, you know, beat it about six, seven months ago. So, um, so I've been having fun replaying that, uh, the quick save function, which I know you mentioned is just, it's amazing. And I think it's necessary for, um, for mobile because for those of you who don't know this, Dragon Quest has one safe point in the whole game. You go to the king of Tanagal. I, I assume I'm saying that right. Tanagal. Tantagal. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, I say Tanagal. I don't know. I've never heard it like pronounced on anything. But Tanagal Castle. You go to the king and he saves the game for you. He tells you like how much experience you have to go and all that. So what happens is, you know, the, the world of Dragon Quest 1 is not just super big, but it's big for only having one save point. And, it, you know, there's some times that, you know, you really have to walk back for a long time before you get mm-hmm. to, to the king to save it. So the quick save function is great for mobile. It makes the game a thousand times easier. Um, I, I took advantage of the quick save function a lot. Like, not even just to 
like because I had to quick save it to turn it off really quick because something was going on. But I mean, just to like, <laughs> I would just quick save before going into like a dungeon or a cave and stuff. That way I just wouldn't get completely wiped out because, you know, the thing about Dragon Quest One is like, you don't know, like, you don't know if it's going to be hard or not. Like even the beginning of the game, it's like you start off and if you go outside of the castle, you can kill like a slime or a she slime and it's not too bad. And then you wonder just like, you know, just a few inches to the right there and go like literally like south, inches on the map, like, like just a little bit like Southwest. Then you might run into like some ghosts and things and they can just like kill you so fast um, if you haven't leveled up enough. And so, so I would always, you know, quick save um the quick save function saved my butt like multiple times the the number one time the that i i'm like so thankful i did this was um in uh charlotte castle carlot castle however you want to pronounce it mm-hmm. the final castle there with the dragon lord is there's apparently like an infinite loop. Like you can just keep going like through this like endless staircase, infinite loop, whatever you want to call it. And you just will constantly like get stuck there if you don't realize it. So I was about, you know, probably less than 30 minutes, but definitely more than like 10 or 15 minutes in. And I was like, huh, I'm not really seeing, uh, not really seeing any new stuff. Um, it seems like I'm just repeating the same areas. Um, I tried, I tried getting out and wasted another like hour trying to get back to like the main area on my own. Mm-hmm. And so finally, so that was one of the times, you know, like I was talking about where I just kind of Googled it and, um, and sure enough, they were like, yep, if you go this way, you know, there's going to be infinite staircases in the castle. And so I quick saved it. So I restarted and back up at the quick save from outside of the castle and um, went back in and I followed a guide very closely um, to get through to the dragon Lord, just because I wanted to get there and I just didn't want to take the time to get lost again. So I was really glad during that time. Sorry. No, go ahead. Like during that time of you doing that, were there bosses or not bosses, but monsters were you getting randomly attacked as well? Oh man, it's been so long. But yeah, I mean, I know there's random battles, like because you have to walk. So here's the thing: you save it at Tanagal C- Castle, right? Yep. And, and I did. I always tried to do hard saves as often as possible, just in case the quick save messed up, and it never did. But so you save there one last time. You do like the Rainbow Bridge to get over to the island and all that stuff. Um, you go into the castle, and there's yeah, there's random enemy encounters. Um, there's not there's not any bosses or anything till you get to the dragon lord but there are like random enemy encounters and so it's like so during the infinite part i, I want to say so yeah i mean I, I don't know why there wouldn't be i haven't gotten to that yeah. part while replaying it but i remember getting attacked the entire time i was in there so um so i want to say yeah there were random enemy encounters in there because it's just like it's i mean it's a part of the dungeon it's not like um anything really special and so yeah i want to say i was just like getting attacked and you know just the whole time which makes it even harder which i guess yeah that's what i was thinking that's why i was asking because that would be so annoying yeah the other thing the other thing about one as much as i have loved one the thing i'm so glad that they got rid of was the torches having to use the torches in a cave like and once you get the glow spell the torches don't matter if as long as you have mp and you want to keep using the glow spell like which is what i really did i always kept a torch or two as backup but like um 
But once you come to learn the glow spell, it's less important. But like seriously, the torches and the beginning part of that game before you learn glow was like, um, I, I definitely, I got lost one time. So I, I'm pretty sure I talked about this on the blog. But there was one time that I was saving up. I want to say it was a broadsword. There was, mm. there was something um, like, I'm trying to remember the town. It was the town. It starts with a G, I want to say. It's after like... Um, the city of coal. Anyway, oh boy, I do not remember. Anyway, so, uh, so I think it was a broadsword. I was trying to save up for, it. and it's like fifteen hundred gold or something, just like crazy expensive for that point in the game. And so I was trying to save up for it. So I was trying to, you know, only use my money on an end when I needed to heal up, and also just kind of kill a bunch of like enemies for gold. But I needed mm-hmm. to get back through there's that cave, you know, it's the cave that if you take the wrong turn, you can end up with the green dragon and the princess a little earlier than you wanted to, but you have to use that cave to get between the two areas. Um, and so, so I was having to get, go into that cave and I realized that I didn't have a torch with me because I was wanting to save up for money. And I was wandering around in the dark, just bumping into stuff the whole time didn't know where I was going, you know, found the, uh, the door, you know, that leads to mm-hmm. the dragon. So knew to turn around there. Cause I knew I wouldn't be ready yet for the green dragon. And, um, just, you know, I spent so much time just being lost in the dark right there. And that's not even a hard cave. Once you know the layout of it, especially right. because in that game, you know, you're required to run back and forth through there quite a bit. And so, so I stopped using torches. Like at one point where now that I've gotten there and I know the layout of that cave, I just stopped with torches. Oh, yeah. It was like, I know how to do this. It's like, this stinks, but I'm going to not waste my money in inventory. And I did the exact same thing eventually, but this was still early and just early enough in the game that like I wasn't quite used to the layout of that cave. Yeah. So, um, so I got lost for a long time, but, um, but yeah, like like you said, once you know the layout of the cave, you can run through there and not even waste a torch. And then eventually you get the glow spell. And so it didn't matter for me anymore. But I'm very, very thankful. You know, people talk about how d- tough Dragon Quest 2 is. And I know I'm going to talk about it one of these days as well. Just how hard Dragon Quest 2 is. But I'm glad that um, I'm glad that they did not stick with keeping the torches around uh for, or at least they didn't, you know, in the mobile versions. I don't know if the original Dragon Quest Two still had torches, but I know the iOS version uh, doesn't. But, um, but yeah, so the torches. I'm very thankful that that is no longer um, a thing. I also really like. In the, case you guys weren't aware, he's very, very happy those torches are gone. Oh yeah, so totally. And um, one thing I did like about the iOS version, though, especially was the obviously there's graphic upgrades. Uh, there's the uh, the the minor like story and dialogue tweaks I really like. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned it in this episode or if it was one of the previous ones, but um, but you know they they added in uh, they changed some dialogue and stuff like that mm-hmm. so that everything kind of uh, fits together. Like Erdrick is back to being Erdrick and that kind of thing. He's not Lodo or Rodo, and they mention. Um, in the iOS version, they mention I cannot think of her name. It starts with an R. Um, mm. This the is the only R I can think of is Roto off the top of my head. This is gonna kill me. I don't know. 
I, I'm going to look it up and mention it in like next week's episode or something because this is going to kill me, but I'm not going to waste like a bunch of time right now trying to Google it. But I know that they added in some other stuff just to make it um, like more concise. And that's one thing I, I've really liked about the mobile versions. And it's kind of like now that all the Dragon Quest games are here, it's like they're trying to be more consistent with all the translations and everything. So they've kind of yeah. tweaked they've tweaked dialogue and story so that it all kind of flows smoother, I guess. And I assume it's, um, you know, try to get everything into like one, like canonical kind of like timeline and just so the terms all match up with people. And so, so, you know, I do like, uh, that, that they've, you know, done those like tweaks and upgrades and everything there. Um, so, uh, so, so Dragon Quest 1, I, I told you I would talk about this a little bit. So uh, right before we started recording, we were talking about uh, the first JRPG, right? Right. And, yeah, um, and I thought that Dragon Quest, Dragon, well, yeah, Dragon Quest was the first JRPG that it established the formula that everyone was emulating. Yeah. Because I know that, you know, Final Fantasy was looking at it as being like, we can't beat this, but we can do better graphics. Right. And so, and so what we were talking about, and I, you know, I told you I would mention at some point is, you know, and I often say Dragon Quest first ever JRPG, you know, I say that too. I think it's one of those things that, um, so it's not really the first JRPG. It's the, I would say, I guess it's, it's arguably the first good JRPG and it's the JRPG that like kind of like inspired all the other JRPGs, you know? Right. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings, right? There were like fantasy, like high fantasy stuff before Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the Rings was the one that got made that, you know, after it was written, everybody was like, oh, this is awesome. And then everybody copied it. So Dragon Quest is kind of like that. It wasn't the first one, but it was the you know first like good one that had like everything in it that people started copying and like using as like a template to make all the other JRPGs after that. Yeah. Um, and so really quickly, I, I was going to look it up because I told you I had this book. And so yeah. so this book and, and right now, if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can totally read it for free as well. I grabbed it on Kindle. Um a few years ago, the first one. And, um, what's it called? It's called, uh, sorry, I was getting that. I was having to flip over. It's called the untold history of Japanese game developers, but I was looking for the guy's name. So it's by, it's by SMG. I do not know how to pronounce his name. It's like says Pontiac. It's like S Z C Z E P A N I A K. Anyway, that's the guy's name. I had to look up the guy's name. Um, was what and I the was title doing. is The Untold Story of Japanese Game Developers? Japanese Game Developers. And there's multiple ones. There's multiple ones. I I, I picked up one because it was like on sale on Kindle like years ago. Right. And then I picked up two um, a little while later. And now I'm seeing after looking it up, there's also a third one, which I didn't know about. Um, but if you're interested in this kind of thing, like this, this is pretty cool because it has... Um, like interviews with uh, Japanese game developers. And it also has like, uh, you know, just some backstory on different games. A lot of this stuff that I'm mentioning is in volume two. It may be in volume one. I'll include links to these in the show notes uh, so that you guys can just click and uh, find them as well. So Either way, they're really good. If you're a fan of, 
you know, JRPGs especially, but just like gaming history, I think they're pretty neat. Um, you know, I, I like those kind of books and I read them. So um, anyway, but I thought one thing that was interesting, because I looked back, because you and I talked about how Dragon Quest was the first JRPG, but then we were like, well, was it? And so I'm pulling it up on my Kindle app right here. So um, so it does talk about some that I guess would have pre- like preceded yeah. uh, Dragon Quest. Like I know one of the ones that he talks about in there is uh, The Dragon and Princess. Um, I don't know that one at all. And so that one is, I'm looking into it right now, it was 1982. So it would have been you know about four that- hours earlier. And it was the first one where like basically you had a party. You had okay. you had a party and you went on like a quest for a king. And now that wasn't for the NES though. The NES hadn't been released at that point. The Famicom hadn't no, been no, released. No, no, right? no, 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 no. I'm just talking about like JRPGs in general here. Okay, JRPGs in general, not necessarily NES JRPGs. Correct. Yes. So, um, so that one would have been like 1982. He mentioned some other ones that I can't cannot think of off the top of my head because I didn't bother doing research before. Now I just kind of mentioned it and now I'm winging it. But I know there was one, uh, I want to say it was called Dungeon that they talk about in the book that, assen- yeah, I remember Dungeon. that essentially yeah. just stole all their like monster designs from Dungeons and Dragons and put it like on the computer. Um, so, uh, so that one, I think, uh, was a little bit earlier. The one that I thought was really interesting um, is there's one that was called the Black Onyx. So I just Googled it to make sure I got that name right. It was called right. the Black Onyx that was like the first kind of JRPG hit. Like initially, I think it was a failure and then it kind of sold pretty well. Like I think like hundreds of thousands of copies. And it was basically from a guy who wasn't Japanese. Um, like I guess he moved to Japan or something. And he, uh, so he made this game. And to my knowledge, it was the first game, I believe that had like the colored health bars. Uh, okay. On it. And it also let you, you could talk to NPCs and get them to join your party. And so that game, I think, was like a failure initially. And then I want to say he, the guy that made this game, he like hired some like Japanese translators and some other things to try to make it more Japanese. Cause I assume it was like really, I assume it was like Western, you know, fantasy mm-hmm. and stuff. So he hired some, uh, some Japanese people to help him out on it and then like redistributed or whatever. And then it was kind of a big hit. So, and I think all of those are like technically considered JRPGs. Um, I know that in this book, at least it calls them JRPGs, but um, I think they were also more kind of like dungeon crawler type games as right. well. And that's what dungeon is. It was a dungeon mapping. I think if I'm, if I'm not wrong, it may have been a first person uh dungeon map dungeon mapping dungeon crawler and it looks like the dragon and princess uh was actually done by koi k-o-e-i i've never known how to pronounce that koi um but it's uh it looks like it was like the beginning of like tactical rpgs Mm -hmm. is what uh these articles that i'm seeing right now are saying so so yeah so all that is to say there were technically japanese rpgs before dragon quest but i think dragon quest was like the one that you know, it came out and it was like the best one and it was just this fantastic one. And then everybody that came after copied Dragon Quest. 
So I think it's the EverQuest of JRPGs where uh well actually it's the World of Warcraft of JRPGs where it took everything that the other games before it had done did it so well that people tended to forget that it wasn't the one that started the whole thing. And so anyway, I just wanted to talk about that for a little while because I know you and I a lot of times we just say it was the first JRPG and I guess I guess we need to like abbreviate that and say it's the first ever like good JRPG or maybe like the JRPG template. I don't know, but it, either way, it, uh, you know, I just thought that was kind of interesting um, because when we recorded last week, whenever it was, I, uh, I knew we were talking about it. And um, I think at some point we were even like, well, is it, we know we say it is, but is it really? And so anyway, I just uh, pulled up, I don't know why I didn't Google it. Apparently I'm just like, I forget that it's like not like 1993. So I like turned to my books. So I'm like, I have this book I'm going to look into. It's true. Um, I do make fun of him all the time, y'all, because he is a, he's like a 90 year old man in a 29 year old's body. It's like, he gets grumpy and crotchety and like, wears his cardigans (laughs) and talks about youths. And uh, he, he, he literally sends me text messages about youths. And so it's, uh, it's I, not just him I did. saying that. It's your, it's your, it's your, cause you mainly run the Dragon Quest FM Twitter account. And I'm like, <laughs> stop it. You're embarrassing me with all of your like talk of like using fam and like I can has and all of this stuff. I'm just like, stop it. Just stop. And, but that's kind of our stick, you know, you, it is. You, you are embarrassing, and I'm a stick in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is, that's our dynamic. Just so you guys know, and it all, and it all goes back to. I'll just tell a story right now. It doesn't really have to do with Dragon Quest, but do you remember we all went to go see Guardians of the Galaxy together like years ago? Yeah, and I remember like other people. I can't remember where your wife was. She was there, yeah. but other people were gone. And me, my wife Grace, and you, we were holding our place in line. And there's a line, you know, lined out the doors there. Obviously, it's a line to go see a movie. And you ask the people in front of us, you're like, hey, is this the line for Guardians of the Galaxy? And a normal person, me, or a normal person would have probably just, you know, when they said yes, say, okay, cool, thanks, or like, thank you, whatever. But you're like, well, hot diggity dog, this sure is where I need to be. And you like do a little (laughs) clap and snap. And anyway, that that's his personality, you guys. If you want to know what it BJ's is. like, he's the clap, snap, hot diggity dog person. I really do say hot diggity dog, y'all. I, yeah, I, I know you do. That's literally I what do. you said that that night. <laughs> and um, and like you totally just you know, Grace and I just kind of both looked down and we're like, we don't know this guy. <laughs> who's this? Who's this strange dude that just walked up to us? <laughs> um, but anyway, I know that doesn't have to do with Dragon Quest. I just thought it was a funny story. Um, so, uh, so before we finish here, I know you're going to put those links in. Is there anything mm-hmm. else uh, you want to add about Dragon Quest One? Like, I'm just really excited to actually get through it. You know, it's uh, being able to play the the GBC version of it actually has me excited because I've been playing these DS versions, and they are, you know, way 
way enhanced versions of the originals, especially Dragon Quest Four. And so uh, I'm super excited to get back to playing one of these old traditional ones, uh, playing, you know, a 33-year-old game. But it's interesting to me, even looking at the Game Boy Color version, which is is an updated version of the of the original, it still feels far more modern than going back and playing other RPGs on the platform on NES, that kind of age, where I have a really hard time going into Final Fantasy one. Like I do love the Final Fantasy series and I do love RPGs and games from that era, but it is really hard for me to even go back and play the original Zelda. And I'm not having nearly as hard a time going back into DQ one as I thought I was going to. Uh, so it's uh, interesting to me just how well they hold up uh, for games of that era. Yeah. And I totally agree. I think they hold up really great. Uh, so uh, once again, you can visit our site. It's dragonquest.fm. You can talk to us on Twitter at dragonquestfm. You can read my blog, Austin's Dragon Quest Quest. That is at dragonquestaustin.com. You can talk to me personally on Twitter at underscore Austin underscore King. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beige. That's Beige with two E's. Um, I'm on another podcast called the Geek to Geek podcast that you can find at geek2geekcast.com. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.